Hello, everyone, and I want to welcome you back to one of my favorite places to be. My name is Kayla, if you're not familiar. I am Kayla, and you're listening to Black True Crap. Hey, you guys, and welcome back to Black True Crime. And today we are having a listener episode. Well, a listener requested episode, which I love because it tells me that you guys are actually listening and actually want to hear stuff from my mouth. So (laughs) that makes me happy, like I said. Um, Today, I'm just going to get right into it. Nothing to really cover or go over or announce. So if you're ready, I'm ready. Let's go. On July 27, 2017, 26-year-old Jamel Moore would be found dead, laying naked on a mattress in the home of Ed Buck, a rich, well-connected businessman in Los Angeles, California. It was apparent that he died from a meth overdose, so the coroner declared Jamel's death accidental. But some people weren't so sure. Join us as we discuss the circumstances, conspiracies, and cover-ups behind the death of Jamel Moore. Born on January 14, 1991, Jamel Arte Jewels Moore, okay, with the name, originally from California, was the oldest child of Letitia Nixon, a single mother who worked two jobs. She said, quote, he was like a father figure. He helped me a lot with cleaning the house and cooking for his siblings while she worked, well, while I worked, to provide for them. His family remembers him as someone who was always, like I said, a huge helper, and he had a great sense of humor, just like me. According to his Facebook, he went to Victor Valley High School in Victorville, California, and graduated in 2008. And at some point, he was working at AT AT&T. Okay, that's my phone service place. We're connected in some way. In the spring of 2017, Jamel decided to leave Los Angeles and move to Texas to live with his mother, whom he still had a great relationship with. At the time of his death, Jamel was working as an escort. He apparently met Ed Buck, creepo, through an online dating or hookup site back in 2016. So on July 27, 2017, Ed Ed bought... A plane ticket for Jamel to fly from Texas to LAX. And within 24 hours of him landing in LA, Jamel would be dead. So when the officers first got there, the first responders first got there, they said the scene was a little different, a little odd. (laughs) Um, Jamel was unclothed. That part's not funny. I didn't mean to joke. That, That part's not funny. Sorry. Jamel was unclothed on a mattress in the middle of the floor, and there was a TV with gay porn playing on it, as well as a bunch of needles and meth-smoking equipment laying all around. There was also mirrors up in there, which was kind of, you know, risque, but hey, that's your thing, get it? It was also said that while they were removing Jamel's body, another young Black man 
could be seen coming up to Ed's apartment. And he literally had to be like turned away by the sheriff deputies. Like someone just died here. You can't come in. It's fucking crazy. I feel like, and Ed wasn't even, I don't even think they had him like in custody or anything like that. So he could have called this guy and be like, hey, like, don't come here. So I don't know. Ed was not all the way there in the head. Because of the coroner's ruling of an accidental overdose, the sheriff's department did not investigate. And this obviously devastated Jamel's family because they felt that Ed Buck had something to do with his passing. So on August 10th, his mom, Letitia, started going on social media and basically just asked people to pay attention to his case and to urge authorities to take a more thorough look at it. I just think the authorities should give a fuck if someone died in anyone's house regardless of if they were a drug addict or just a kinky guy doing kinky things with a kinky client, you know? So important. A piece of information that could possibly get the investigators to pay more attention to Jamel's death was returned to Jamel's family among his belongings. It was a personal journal that he kept, and after reading it, the family decided to release some of it to the media through a woman named Jasmine Kanick. She's a political activist and also a former press secretary and spokeswoman for the family. So on August 14th, she decided to put out some of his personal journals so everyone could see what he was talking about, his mental state, the stuff he was going through, things of that nature. I'm going to go ahead and read some of it to you guys because I feel like it's a big part of the case and you should hear about it. If you want to see it like written in his own handwriting, you can go to our Instagram page at Black True Crime Podcast because I almost just forgot for a second and check it out. So the first passage I'm going to read, it says, I pray that I can just get my life together and make sense. I help so many people but can't seem to help myself. I honestly don't know what to do. I became addicted to drugs and the worst one at that. Ed Buck is the one to thank. He gave me my first injection of crystal meth. If it was very it was very painful, but after all the troubles I became addicted to the pain and fetish fantasy. But slowly my brain, my mind, and action change. I am not the same person I was born to be. I felt as if I sold my soul to the devil. I want to be back in the hands of God. I want to be healed from drugs, poverty, and troubles. I want independence. I want my own. There's so much madness going on in my life. It's got to be illegal and wrong the way I was raised to be. You would never expect any of this. Like you could tell he was feeling it, you know? He was feeling like he was kind of crumbling because of this manipulative, sick individual. In another entry, he wrote, let's see, he wrote, my life is at an all-time high right now, and I mean that from always. I ended up back at Buck House again and got manipulated into slamming again. I even went to the point where I was forced to doing four within two day, within a two-day period. This man is crazy, and it's sad. Will I ever get help? His last entry dated December 3rd, 2016, so about six to seven months before he died. Quote, if it didn't hurt so bad, I'd kill myself, but I'll let Ed Buck do it for now. 
You guys, like, this is, like, he wrote this himself. Can you imagine? And this was seven months before he actually passed away. So I can't even, I can't even imagine how he was feeling because he was, well, I can kind of imagine it because I just read this and he was obviously going through it. And Ed Buck was obviously terrorizing him in some way. So with the approval from the family, she also published some photographs and videos taken by men, multiple men, um, who said they were inside Buck's apartment. And some of these pictures and videos corroborated key details from the initial death report. So there was a rolling red toolbox filled with sex toys and drug paraphernalia that was found, a sportswear fetish, and also an aversion to sexual intercourse, which I don't know how that could be seen in the pictures, but maybe in the videos. I'm looking at some of the pictures right now, and I'm going to be honest with you, they're a little risque. Like, there's a picture of a black male, and he has what looks like a sex toy that's in the shape of a mouth, and he has his tongue sticking out as in, like, you know, toward the sex toy. So, yeah, they were taking some pictures. I see some more pictures, screenshots that, ooh, that detail some black men's bulges as far as, you know, their their penises, I want to (laughs) say. I don't know why this is making me, like, so, feel so, like, shy. I don't know. This is weird. It's just because I'm looking at it and it's, I don't know. I feel like I'm cheating or something. I'm sorry. Okay. (laughs) So she released some of these pictures. And the very next day, the very next day after she released all this stuff, the LAPD decided to open up a homicide investigation. Yay. We're happy about this. Let's see if it goes anywhere. Letitia Nixon, his mother, made a passionate plea before the West Hollywood City Council on August 21st, so almost a month after his death. She asked for help in getting justice for her son and all of Ed Buck's victims because men had been coming forward, you guys, speaking about Ed's disgusting behavior and his freaking fetishes, which I'm not shaming if you have a fetish. Great, but let it be healthy to where you're not hurting people that don't want to be hurt. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So she asked for the city council to support immunity for the potential witnesses that would come forward and the victims. Um, So they wouldn't be prosecuted, you know, just so they could help basically without having 10 years of their life taken away from them. West Hollywood council member Lindsay Horvath, she actually supported this and spoke out supporting it vocally into the public, which is great. But this abrasive jerk, and I will call him a jerk because he was definitely acting like a jerk throughout this whole entire investigation. Um, the mayor, <laughs> Mayor John Duran of West Hollywood, he pops up and he's basically like, look, No one has the authority to give anybody immunity. Let's just make that very clear. Um, Before I move forward, let me tell you who this guy, John Duran, is. John Duran was once the attorney for Ed Buck. Let that sink in a little bit. 
He was a fucking attorney and he was Ed Buck's attorney. And he also has taken about $12,000 over the years in donations from Ed Buck. So can someone please, please say conflict of interest because that's literally all I'm seeing right now. Mr. John or whatever your name is. Yeah, it's John. (laughs) Okay. He then went on to say, this John Creepo, quote, transparency doesn't always work with the criminal justice system. Transparency can subject you to criminal arrest and prosecution. So before you do anything, you should seek legal counsel to advise you on how to proceed forward before you speak to law enforcement. Which is honestly smart and good advice. Like you should definitely talk to someone, <laughs> like legal somebody's, before you deal with um, an investigation where someone's investigating the death of someone else. Smart. Also, a lot of people took that as him threatening the victims and kind of saying, if you come forward, you most likely, most likely will be arrested type of thing. So Seymour Amster. And I don't know if you're familiar with that name, but I am because he also represented Lonnie Franklin Jr., a.k.a. the Grim Sleeper, a.k.a. the first case we've ever covered on this show. And now he is representing Ed Buck's creepy ass. So (laughs) he came to the the defense of his client, obviously, because that's his fucking job, and said that all these allegations were basically just a character assassination fueled by an old grudge. He'd even went as far as to demand to know if West Hollywood City Council member Lindsay Horvath was involved in what he referred to as, quote, instigating, promoting, or financing the character attacks on Mr. Buck. Mm. Mm. It's not far-fetched, is it? Because apparently everyone's corrupt in this city. And he even went on to continue to ask for a request for an ethics investigation. An ethics investigation. Seymour, you, out of all people. He wanted an investigation done into Miss Lindsay Horvath for failing to de- disclose that Buck had, in the past, opposed her candidacy. So basically, he's accusing her of not being completely honest, which, like I said, who is in any of these situations? On November 18th, Jamel Moore's coroner's report was published officially, corroborating Jamel's chilling words from his journal describing the violence he experienced at the hands of Ed Buck. The LA Times article on the coroner's report validates the accounts of Buck's other victims, including being a sexual predator, kidnapping, forced drug use, injecting unconscious Black gay men with crystal meth, filling, filing false police reports to cover his crimes, coercion, pimping, and pandering. Yeah, your boy Ed has been busy. Not my boy. But with all this, all of this came out within, what, five months of Jamel's death. Ed Buck would still walk into the next year a free man. Disgusting. So as the holiday season rolled on around, Jamel's family was understandably pissed that Ed was just enjoying his fucking life free 
you know, probably still doing the sick shit that he was doing to Jamel, you know, with other men. Um, They decided to put on their petty hats, <laughs> which I fucking love, and literally went to his house and sang Christmas carols outside of his house. But they weren't regular Christmas carols. They were Christmas carols that they actually remixed <laughs> to basically throw shade at him for being a serial killer. So song titles included Prison Bells to the tune of Silver Bells. We Wish Ed Buck Was in Prison to the tune of We Wish You a Merry Christmas. Ed Buck is Out on the Prowl to the tune of Santa Claus is Coming to Town. (laughs) And my personal favorite, Ed Buck the Meth Man to the tune of Frosty the Snowman. And I have to sing it for you guys. I'm so sorry. It's probably only going to be 30 seconds. You can fast forward through this, but it's happening. Here it goes. Ed Buck the Meth Man is your neighbor and a hoe. Oh my God, this is so bad. With a a bunch of pipes and a box of drugs and syringes and needles. Ed Buck The meth man isn't innocent, they say. So the story goes, but his boy Steve knows how he killed Jamel that day. He must have some, he must have some connection to the sheriff's NDA. I don't know the rest of the song. For when they found Jamel's body, they looked the other way. Ed Buck, the meth man, is as free as he can be. And his victims say he still parties and plays, looking for black men daily. Ed Buck, the meth man, really thinks he got away. But we're here to say we ain't going away, just as for Jamel today. I'm not going to lie. They pro- they did a pretty good job writing that. I did a horrible job singing it, but I digress. So speaking of this f- creepo, ugh, Ed Buck, I'm going to cover his history a little bit, but briefly because I hate him and he sucks. Okay. Ed Buck began his career as a fashion model and actor in Europe, acting as the face of Wrangler in Japan in the 1970s. I don't know if that's Wrangler the Jeep or Wrangler the Jeans, but it doesn't really matter because he sucks. He also worked for a friend's company before buying it out of bankruptcy for $250,000. He became a millionaire upon selling it after five years. Oh, I wish I had friends like that. My friends don't have $20. I'm kidding. I love my friends. Okay. My three that I have. Okay. He relocated to Cali and involved himself in politics. Buck led a campaign to impeach Arizona Republican Governor Evan Meckham. Meckham. M-E-C-H-A-M. Pronounce it how you want. I don't care because he sucks too. He was known for his opposition to the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. His proposal for a voluntary drug testing, which I'd probably like to hear a little bit more about that because that sounds kind of cool. And his plan to reduce the state police force up to 300 officers. That's not smart, I don't think. LAPD, they need all... No. Was it in the... No, it was in Arizona. I'm sure nothing happens in Arizona, so that probably wasn't that bad. But eventually, he was impeached and accused of fraud and perjury. (laughs) So like I told you, he sucks. 
Edbuck then moved to West Hollywood, running unsuccessfully for city council in 2007, and switched to a Democrat, which is, I don't know, it's kind of, I don't really hear people switching like that. I don't know. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> okay. And then he became more involved in LB, in the LGBTQ political circles. Now, as we know, he's clearly interested in men. Nothing wrong with that. That's your life. Do what you want to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, love who you want to love. And maybe that's why he switched from Republicans, because Republicans are known to be kind of square. It's just their reputation. <laughs> He formally served on the steering committee of the Stonewall Democratic Club, which is a club that focuses on LGBTQ. Did I get all the letters? LGBTQ, yeah, issues and politics. <laughs> but on August 8, 2017, Ed was removed from this club because, well, I'm sure the allegations of someone dying in his house of drugs overdose had something to do with it, but it also had something to do with a transgender woman named Marie Preston. During a mountain retreat for the Stonewall Democratic Club prior to Moore's death, Jamel Moore, Preston said that Ed joined her for fresh air on the porch of a cabin. Then he pulled out his cell phone and he was like, quote, he's so hot. And I was like, quote, who? And he showed me his phone, and there was a black man sitting in a dark room. And the only light in the room was the light from the lighter. And he was smoking methamphetamine. This disturbing experience, and like I said, coupled with the death of Jamel, kind of pushed him out. They, quote, accepted his resignation, basically told him to fucking get out, but try to give him some dignity with it, which he didn't deserve. But he didn't really let any of this hold him back. He went on to donate nearly $30,000 to Democratic candidate, candidates such as Hillary Clinton, Ted Lieu, Pete Aguilar, yeah, Pete Aguilar, and Raja Krishnamurti. It was later found that when looking for men to solicit, Buck would use the N-word using descriptions like looking for a six-foot N-word. He would also use it on his personal Facebook account when talking with friends. I don't know why. Why Why do people do that? Why do people get so comfortable? And I'm not saying the N-word is in like N-I-G-G-A. I'm saying like with the hard R, you know, like just, just very unbecoming. Very unbecoming. I have some screenshots of some of his profiles that he had out there trying to attract men that I'm going to read to you. And I'm also going to include on our Instagram, at Black True Crime Podcast. So he described himself as 60-year-old, 6 foot, and 175. Leather. <laughs> Leather. And then his ethnicity was white out. Okay. And then it's smoke. In the section, like, asking if he smoked, he said no. Drink? Occasionally. And then I guess, like, where they would meet his place. Then he went on to say, I can float in the stratocumulus clouds for an eternity, sometimes launching in a pointed way. I've got a huge underwear, sports gear, mirror, dick ring, bulge, vac pumps, 
dot, 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 fetishes. Nothing, and some of these things are started out, so I'm just guessing what the cuss word is or like whatever the word they're trying to hide. Nothing, maybe dick or fuck, I don't know. Nothing blank going on here. My butt, your butt, any butt is unappealing. So like we said earlier in the episode, he had like a diversion for actual intercourse. So, and we can see it from the horse's mouth right here. He goes on to say, I love verbal, filthy mouth, visual, lots of mirrors, blacks. Plus, you be in love with your, I'm assuming, dick. And then, well, he's Caucasian. And you know Caucasian people say cock. So it's probably cock. So let's go with that. You be in love with your cock. Cock slanging. And showing off your cock in my jock. (laughs) Into masculine, slender, slash skinny. Men who realize it's not about an eight-inch cock, it's you as a six-foot hard R N-word, I'm assuming. I don't know. He had another (laughs) account on a site called Adam for Adam. And in this account, okay, so (laughs) this is going to be on the page too. And I'm going to make fun of him because he's a disgusting human being. So in this picture, like as his profile picture, he has a picture of him in like, I guess, multiple packs of briefs, I guess, trying to make himself look bigger than he is. And he looks absolutely pathetic. Oh, my gosh. His description of his profile, it goes, let's go there together. 63, 5'11". So his age is, I guess, he's getting older. I don't know when these screenshots were taken. 5'11", 170 pounds, um, 32 wide, so I guess that's his waist size, gross, average, gray, buzzed body, white, looking for fetish. Let me take you home to a place you've never been before. I want to show you a facet of yourself that you could not see before, debauchery. Oh, God. Scene alternative? Out, yes, drugs socially. Eight inch, which I'm assuming he's talking about a cock size. Cut, which I'm assuming he's talking about circumcised. Foreplay, which I'm assuming he's talking about drugging them and assaulting them. Prefer meeting at my place, which we know is his favorite place to do all of this sick, disgusting things to these poor beautiful gay black men with huge penises what the hell so yeah all that will be on the page oh god sky was pretty pretty interesting to research not gonna lie but also not because he sucked like i said so regarding the crime scene the coroner's report stated that the police found sex toys syringes all that stuff we talked about earlier um, the meth in the toolbox, just a lot of bunch of stuff. And to be more precise, 24 syringes with brown residue in them, 
five glass pipes with white residue and burn marks, a plastic straw with possible white residue, clear plastic bags with white powdery residue, and a clear plastic bag with a piece of crystal-like substance. So he was a slob, didn't even try to get rid of the evidence that his house was being used as a drug and sex den, hot mess. He also apparently liked to take videos and pictures that we know of, and he would be in them. I found a lot of these pictures. They were kind of disturbing. If you guys want me to include them, just message me and tell me, but I'm not going to do that because they just like, I don't know, They're, they they gross me out. So if you want to be grossed out, by all means, I'll send them to you. So regarding the witnesses, police were able to track down several men, 10 to be exact, that had some piping hot tea regarding our not-so-friendly, gross neighborhood white man, Ed Buck. But there was the catch that we talked about earlier. They can't talk about it because they're afraid they're going to get arrested, which is a very, like, okay fear to have. It makes sense. It makes sense. So Jasmine Canick, his mom, Letitia, they worked together, tried to get immunity for some of them. It was possible. It was made. And now we know some of the stories. So one man told investigators that in August 2017, he fell asleep on Buck's couch and woke up tied to the couch. The man said he believed Buck had injected him with drugs while he was sleeping. Another man told investigators in September of 2017 that he went to Buck's house after Buck offered him $800 to $1,000 if he let Buck give him cocaine. And then he repeatedly told the man to get like more drugged up, kept giving him cocaine, kept trying to force him to do it. Let's see, what other stories do I have for you? Um, some victims told the authorities that Mr. Buck, oh my God, gross i'm not calling him that that ed buck had injected them with methamphetamines without their knowledge while they were sleeping one victim said buck was known as dr kevorkian and was well known for compensating male prostitutes with drugs and money so basically essentially these men black gay very hung penis men were being propositioned for sex in exchange for drugs and or money, kidnapped, drugged, beaten, sexually assaulted, and just overall tortured by Ed Buck until he got bored and called the police to remove them or until they had a chance to escape. Because as you can see, someone died in this house. But despite all this information, despite the testimonies or the statements of the men, still no charges were filed against Ed Buck. According to documents obtained by the LA Times, Jackie Lacey, that woman, the DA, um, she said that they didn't want to file charges because, quote, the police could not prove beyond a reasonable doubt the suspect, Buck, furnished drugs to Jamel Moore or that the suspect possessed drugs. How? Okay. What are you saying to me? 
because all that stuff was found in his house. 24 syringes with brown substances in it, baggies with with white residue in it. Come on, man. Who do you expect to believe that? Me? Because I don't. I don't. Um, she went on to say that she mainly questioned the validity of the witnesses that came forward and that their statements were either hearsay or just secondhand witnesses, as in like, oh, they heard something, but they weren't like actually there, which I don't believe for a second. I don't believe that for a second. And also, why would anyone come forward, put their freedom in danger just to lie? It just makes no sense, Miss Jackie. If that is re- even is your real name. Anyway, she's a fraud, I feel. One of the victims that came forward was even told by Jackie Lacey that although he came forward a while ago about the assault, it was too late to press any charges against Ed Buck and that his evidence hadn't even been looked at since he made the complaint since he made the complaint and it honestly pisses me off to even say her freaking name did i mention she's black too you guys i'm not even gonna i'm not gonna include a picture of her because she sucks she sucks but if you want to look her up jackie lacy la she'll pop up there so yeah you can't trust anyone your own people will sell you out A lot of family members and supporters felt that there was a huge cover-up, conspiracy type of thing going on. So they were not happy with this at all. On July 26, 2018, almost one year to the day of Jamel's death, DA Jackie would decline to press the charges, officially decline to press the charges against Ed Buck. Two days later, on July 28th, Jasmine Kanick, our homegirl, the activist, tweeted, quote, if another young black gay man overdoses or worse, dies at Democratic donor Ed Buck's apartment, it's going to be the fault of the sheriff's deputy of the sheriff's department and L.A. district attorney for not stopping him when they had the opportunity to. Hashtag Jamel Moore. And little did she know, that's exactly what would happen just six months later. On Monday, January 7, 2019, Ed Buck would wait 15 minutes before calling 911 services for a man overdosing in his home. 55-year-old Timothy Dean would be announced dead of a a methamphetamine, there you go, overdose, and alcohol toxicity at Buck's home. Mark Chambers, who said he met Timothy Dean in 1991 through Lambda Basketball League, a gay men's basketball group, hey, hey, said, quote, he wasn't an angel, he wasn't a devil. He was in between, like everyone else. He also described Timothy as a caring and outgoing friend who preferred to call on holidays and birthdays, not text you, which is so beautiful and kind of old school now, but I love it. And showed up in person when someone was in need. Chambers said, quote, Tim was not reserved. Being a six foot five black man, you have to learn how to make people comfortable quick. He'd smile, he'd laugh, 
Tim put you at ease. One of his neighbors described him as being just the nicest person. Timothy worked as a fashion consultant at Saks Fifth Avenue. That store, I've never been in it, but I feel like you guys know that it's kind of popping. Like it's one of those stores where you feel like you're popping just walking in there. And he also previously worked at Bloomingdale's in Century City. He had a dapper fashion sense. I love that word, dapper. He was he wore well-fitted suits, stylish glasses, and had a collection of bow ties. We would have been best friends. He also helped dress Mark Chambers and his husband in Armani suits for their 2015 wedding in Long Beach. So my man's was stylish. He, you know, he he was clean. He liked to make himself look good. He was, he was, he was swagged out. Oh my God, what year am I from? I don't know. Um, he also was known to keep his house very, very clean. According to a roommate that lived with him for three years, Octavio Tadei, I did my best. I'm sorry. He said that Timothy never indulged in anything excessively, honestly, let alone drugs. Um, he would casually drink. Octavio said, quote, I've never seen him doing drugs or taking drugs. He doesn't even smoke weed or cigarettes. If he drank something, it was at the end of the day after work, not someone who had a problem. Timothy also had a friend that was recovering from drug addiction, and he was super supportive of that, of that friend and their family. On top of that, he was petrified of needles. <laughs> and one of his friends told him that, or, well, one of his friends said that he literally ran down the street when they were trying to get tested for STDs. He ran down the street to get away from the needles. That's how scared he was. So does that sound like someone that's on drugs trying to, you know, get super high off of meth? I don't think so. At one point, is it, at one point in his life, he admitted to Octavio that he had a wild side, which I feel like we all have. And he performed a little bit of adult porn, which I feel like we all have. Just kidding. He also engaged in a little bit of drugs, just casual drugs, nothing crazy, you know, like marijuana, stuff like that. But that wasn't his life anymore. This man was 55. Like he had a lot going for him. He was living his life. He had he didn't have time for that shit. Unlike other people at Buck, who was like 64 doing this crazy shit. So now this got investigators looking. This got investigators tuned the fuck in. So they brought in more people. And I don't think they actually did this on their own volition. I think they had no choice. So the feds got involved and the DEA and it just became like this whole thing. And they really started to take a look at why Timothy Dean died and why Jamel Moore died, which is really important to Jamel's family. Jamel's family even reached out to Timothy's family and Timothy had a couple of sisters and they were able to meet Letitia and Jasmine. They all just kind of mourn their losses together, which I thought was really beautiful. And just like sweet because they didn't have to be there for, you know, the one another, but they chose to. Before I go on, I think it's also worth mentioning that over 18 months after the death of Jamel and just barely a month, barely a month after the death of Tim Timothy Dean in January of this year, 2019, 
While both investigations are still going on, mind you, because they're looking into Timothy Dean's death as well, with foul play still on the forefront and L, or L and Ed still the main suspect, on February 14th, Valentine's Day out of all days, DA Jackie Lacey felt that it was appropriate to accept a political donation from Ed Buck. It was an election year, which this year it was an election year, and she was trying to make sure that she stayed in office, which obviously costs money, and she took Ed's. How fucking unprofessional is that? Are you kidding? There were donors that Ed um, donated to before this woman, before the death of Jamal Moore. They even gave the money back. No, not back to Ed, his asshole ass. He doesn't deserve any money. They gave it to other like non-profit charities and things of that sort because they didn't want the blood money. They wanted the money to go to something that was going to help people. And this woman, after two people died in his house, still took money from him. Either she was really fucking desperate or just really just did not care at all. Which I'm hoping maybe that she was just desperate for the money because the other one just makes me even more disgusted to say have to say her name several more times by the end of this. Also, on the same day, February 14th, and I don't know if this is a coincidence or not, an investigator an investigative reporter spotted Ed Buck with another black man. Okay? Ed will just not quit. He will not quit. And I actually don't know like what happened to that man. I'm sure he has a story to tell. But the same day that you're caught <laughs> with another black man is the same day that you decide to be all charitable and donate money to the district attorney who is basically in charge of if you go to court if you get charged well by the state mm-hmm. idiot idiot and i say that from the bottom of my heart idiot so deciding to take even more drastic steps for justice the group started by Letitia, which is Jamel's mother, it's called Justice for Jamel, decided to join up with the Me Too movement and called for the resignation of West Hollywood Mayor John Duran. Remember that asshole? Yeah, him. In addition to serving as an attorney for Ed Buck and seemingly trying to protect him, Duran allegedly inappropriately touched a fellow member of the Gay Men's Choir, and sexually harassed a former employee. So, like I said, he sucked. And apparently he was just as kind of sexually misguided. I can't even believe I just said that. I can't believe I gave them the satisfaction or the excuse. No, not sexually misguided, sexually sick, okay? Sexually sick. So looking for more information as the feds got involved, as the DEA got involved, more victims got involved. Um, One man told investigators in April of 2018 that Mr. Buck gave him a syringe. Okay, I'm not calling him Mr. Buck anymore. I promise. Buck gave him a syringe that contained meth. And after injecting himself, the man said he believed the syringe contained a tranquilizer and not meth. He said he couldn't move for more than six hours. 
So just, oh, I just got chills, you guys. I just got chills. I couldn't imagine. Oh, that man could have done anything to him in that sixth hour. He couldn't move. He couldn't move. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? The man said that Buck grew frustrated when he would not leave because clearly he couldn't fucking move. And Buck grabbed a power saw from a closet, turned it on, and moved toward him. According to the man, I don't know, I guess adrenaline, just literally, you know, the fight or flight, and he fucking fought to fly (laughs) to be able to get up out of there because he got up and escaped with his life, thank God. And two days after the death of Timothy Dean, 28-year-old Jermaine Gagnon came forward and told how he narrowly escaped death when Ed Buck injected him with crystal meth at his at his apartment. So all these men have come forward. All these men have said basically nearly the same thing that they've been forced to take these drugs that could very much kill them. But their most recent victim would change just about everything in the case. Before we move forward, I actually want to go ahead and hear a little bit about our sponsor. Hey, you guys, I'm back to talk about Sedacious Eye. So I love them. You'll love them. I'm not going to take too much of your time, (laughs) but I do implore you to go check out their website okay they have the cutest accessories and i want every single piece i'm just too broke so (laughs) use our code black tc to go onto their page i'm honestly eyeing right now actually i'm looking at my phone eyeing their color me everywhere clutch it looks like a pack of color pencils which i love so much they have earrings on here that look like earrings khaleesi would wear because I'm obsessed with her, Mother of Dragons. You heard it right here. So go ahead and check out their website, sedaciouseye.com, S-E-D-A-C-E-O-U-S-I-E-Y-E.com. Okay, so before our break, I was talking about a new witness. A new victim. Not happy about that part, but I am happy that it made a break in the case. So a guy came forward and he told police that Ed Buck administered meth injections to him on September 4th and September 11th, as in of this year, 2019, less than three months ago. There's actually a picture caught of him arriving to Ed's apartment. Um, He later called police, Ed did, and had the young man removed from his house, which is kind of, like I said, what he would do to his victims sometimes because he was such a dickhead, which makes no sense. Why weren't police asking more questions if this is something that he was actually doing, you know, on the regular, whatever. If you don't care, you don't care, right? Guess not. This time, though, apparently the victim overdosed and had to call 911. This man's statement was apparently the break that the investigators needed after hearing 
what nine other nine other statements before that like get out of my face but especially because it happened after the death of timothy dean it showed that ed first of all didn't learn a damn thing about the quote-unquote accidental overdoses that was happening in his house so if these are really accidents he wasn't learning anything saying hey maybe i should stop putting myself in the situations hey maybe i should stop putting these men in these situations no didn't learn a damn thing and he was intentionally drugging these men with dangerous amounts of meth the last victim known as joe doe also signed a statement saying that ed's lawyer seymour the one that represented lonnie franklin jr told ed to go on the run <laughs> and there was rumors of an arrest like what type of i mean i I get it, but that's, like, totally breaking laws. Like I said, everyone in this town is crooked as fuck. Stay away from L.A. Don't get arrested in L.A., bitch. You don't know where you might end up. So on Tuesday, September 17th of this year, a live stream of a press conference appeared online with information regarding Jamal's death. In the 2017 death of Jamal Moore, the state didn't charge ed buck with murder oh no oh no they charged him with battery causing serious injury administering methamphetamine and maintaining a drug house these charges only yielded a maximum sentence of five years and eight months are you fucking kidding me i do not think so thank god the feds came in with something a little bit more concrete that maybe someone could live with and by someone i mean the victim's family um nicola nicola t hannah that's a man by the way the u.s attorney in la announced that the federal court would be charging him with distribution of methamphetamine resulting in death which carries a minimum of 20 years in prison and a maximum of life so thanking god if all that's put together 25 years he'll probably be up for probation unfortunately and like what maybe 12 praying to god that doesn't happen we'll see um as of right now he is still in federal custody oh god okay so let's talk about the press conference a little bit hot mess jackie lacy was not likable at all. She was exactly what I expected her to be. Shady, unimpressionable, um, just seeming like she wanted to cover her own ass because she was definitely slacking throughout the majority of this investigation. Not only Jamel's investigation, but Timothy's. Like, ugh, she was just deplorable. So yeah, I'm going to play you guys a clip of her actually trying to deny the fact that she sucked at her job in this so remember earlier she admitted to one of our victims or one of the victims i'm sorry admitted to one of them that she didn't even look at any of his evidence that he brought in or whatever you know he reported and stuff like that she's gonna say in this clip the exact opposite of that so go ahead and take a listen We interviewed every person who was brought before us. 
And oftentimes, when we called some of the people that the activists wanted us to call, they didn't talk to us. They lawyered up. We spoke with every single person and made a very valiant attempt to speak with every single person who said they had witnessed something. And oftentimes, those people had heard things, but they weren't actually a witness to it. And then in this next clip, she is asked by one of the reporters if, (laughs) I think the reporter says if Ed Buck had like clout, that basically prevented them from really investigating him or charging him like they should have. And she denies it up and down and all around and just sounds ridiculous in my opinion. Take a look. Take a listen, rather. No, he did not. Uh, no one on the team uh, was knew Mr. Buck. And if you know anything about our office, we were not at all moved by his reputation. We investigated his case the same as we did everyone else. But it's also a good opportunity to let you know that uh, with regard to the victims, Mr. Dean and Mr. Moore, we took their cases very, very seriously. Uh, and did everything we possibly could, and will continue to do everything we possibly could to bring uh, this man to bring justice to those families. So it had no impact on us. We kept working as hard as we could. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can make your own decisions about your opinion about that woman, but clearly you know mine. She also kept pointing out, like throughout the whole entire press conference, she kept pointing out. Um, when they reached out to the victims that some of them just wouldn't talk to them or they'd immediately lawyer up, but she wasn't mentioning how the fact that if they did talk, they could be facing prison time for drug charges. It was just really just her whole demeanor, her whole tone of voice, just the way her hair was fixed. I just felt like she was shady. Most of the victims are black. So the authorities well. A lot of people were assuming that Buck was preying on gay black men. And maybe he just had a preference. Like he was talking about eight inches. Maybe he just liked the bulge. He had a fetish for bulges. He was looked like he was stuffing his bulge with socks or wearing multiple drawers. He was just, just a weird, sick guy. Weird, sick guy. According to Buck's lawyer, Seymour, who's also a weird sick guy, just not in prison, he denied accusations that Buck had preyed on black gay men. Quote, we do not feel that race played any part of this case before it was filed or when it's been filed. Okay, sir. According to the DA of Los Angeles, I guess the federal guy, well, federal is the state, right? Not sure. All I know is that he's federal and his name is Mr. Hanna. He said, our investigation into Buck is ongoing and we may take more action as more evidence comes forward. So, hey, guys, the more people that come forward to tell about his horrible actions, maybe the more jail time that he will he will get. And hopefully he's behind bars forever because he obviously doesn't seem like the type of person that could stop doing what he's doing. Because even after the death of two men, he still didn't stop doing what he was doing. So, yeah. 
On October 10, 2019, he pled not guilty, not guilty to the charges like a true fucking creep, not taking responsibility for the shit that he clearly does. Federal prosecutors say his trial will start August 4th, 2020. It was supposed to start November 26, 2019, but they pushed it back for reasons I do not know, but it'll probably come out <laughs> between then and now. And he will be kept in the custody of the feds this entire time. So we don't have to worry about him hurting anyone else on the street. After scrutiny of Buck came out, mostly this year, not really too many people before then, um, some people started to come forward that accepted money from Buck and they were returning it. I'm sorry, rather donating it to nonprofits. So that's good. Only a few, I will point out, only a few were doing this because he donated to a lot of people and some people were like, I'm just keeping the money or I already spent it. So I don't know what to tell you. Jasmine Canick said that federal charges were, quote, a victory for our community. It just goes to show that persistence and perseverance pay off. Jamel's family has filed a wrongful death suit against the county of Los Angeles, which they fucking should, and I hope they get every penny they deserve. Specifically naming Jackie Lacey and the assistant head DA Craig Herman, citing that they violated Jamel's civil rights and their, quote, race-based refusal to prosecute Ed Buck, despite all the evidence presented against him. And that is the end of our story for now. Because it's still ongoing, so we'll have to see how the trial, um, how the trial goes. If any new information comes out between now and then, I will keep you guys posted. If you would like me to, just let me know. And yeah, tell me what you thought about it. <laughs> okay, you guys. Before I let you go, it's time for Instagram shoutouts. I don't know where that came from. Don't tell anyone. Okay. So I didn't really think this through as far as how I was going to keep track of <laughs> all the names as they came in. Because remember, I'm doing 120. And I think we're up to, what, 70 now? I'm not really sure, but I will check. So I'm just going to go through our followers on Instagram and shout out 10 of you guys because I, like I said, didn't think this through. Number one, Faking History Podcast. It's a podcast and I love shouting out fellow, fellow podcasters. So hey there and welcome. Number two, we're going to do Psychic Investigator 1975. Apparently he's a true psychic. Hey, welcome. He specializes in cold cases and missing persons. So if you need help with that, check him out. Number three. Um, let's do Sedacious Eye. Sedacious Eye is one of our sponsors. Go check out their page. Number four. Blue, I think I already did them. <laughs> Sarah Speed X3. Hey, girl. Welcome. Thanks for the follow. Oh, I love these people. Number five, Porush underscore. 
underscore. Okay. Porish as in P-O-R-O-S-H. Welcome. Thanks for the follow. Number six, Miss Nikki underscore Connors with a Z. Welcome. I think your filter and your little AV thing is cute. What is that called? A profile picture? Yeah, I dig it. Number seven, Miss Molly Robinson, 5854. She looks like a mom. Oh my gosh, she's so cute. And so is her dog. I love them. Number, can I count? Number eight is shut up, Meg, <laughs> underscore 89. I love it. I'm hoping it was a nod to Family Guy because that's my show. Don't judge me. Number nine, Miss Leslie dot Manson. Hey, girl. Welcome. Oh, my God. You dr- Oh, oh, oh. She is a track and field um, athlete. I used to run track. So we can connect there. Number nine. Levin BZR 79. Hello. Oh my gosh. This is obviously an animal lover and I love animals. So welcome you and your cute animals. And last but not least, number 10, I'm going to shout out Miss Crema 2314. Welcome. You're beautiful. You're beautiful black queen. I'm sorry if that made you feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Everyone was beautiful that I shouted out today. Thank you guys for your support. Thank you for following. If you guys want to give me money as support, um, you can add our Patreon super, super soon. I'm getting all that stuff together. I promise. I promise. You can click on the link in our bio to go to our anchor.fm. You can donate money there if you'd like to. Follow us on Instagram at blue at blue true crime no at black true crime podcast follow us on twitter black true crime podcast and give someone a hug for me (laughs) i hope you had an incredible time here at black true crime and i will see you next time you have a right to kill me i have a right to do that but you have no right to judge me (laughs) 